I want to turn your attention for the next 30 minutes to two texts of Scripture. I feel like I do have a word from God this morning. Typically, if you're a guest with us, typically this is my teaching time. And I feel like to preach a word to you today. In the book, the minor prophet Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. And verse number 2. And then I want to go to Hebrews chapter 11. Habakkuk chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 11. If you're with me, say amen. Habakkuk chapter number 2 and verse number 2 says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. And it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Very important note because the word tarry is used twice in our English translation. It's two completely different Hebrew words. The first one means what you means what you would think to tarry, to be delayed. But the last one, hear me today, means not lacking anything. God told the prophet, my vision might not come at your appointed time, but it will come at my appointed time. But when it comes, I assure you, it will not lack anything. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 1 known as the opening chapter of the Heroes of Faith. Very familiar passage. Many of you could quote it. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want to preach to you for the next 35, 30 minutes, 25 minutes, somewhere in that time frame from this topic. Losing sight but gaining vision. Losing sight to gain vision. Would you close your eyes and close your Bibles and lift your hands and your heads and your words towards heaven? And would you just begin to ask God that he would speak to us as a church this morning? Father, I thank you for the authority of your word. I thank you, God, for the faithfulness and the completeness of your vision. That it may not come at our time, our appointed time, our expected time. But Father, when it comes, we know that it will lack nothing. Help us somehow to turn our eyes away from what we see in the natural world and reach to the vision that you have for us in the future. Huh. Somebody said in Jesus' name. Would you just do me a favor and clap your hands really hard to Jesus? Thank you, Father. We worship you today, Jesus. We worship you today, Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. If you're going to help me preach, shout hallelujah. I want to lose sight, but I want to gain vision. God bless you. You may be uh, seated this morning for a few moments. It was on a rainy 
September 13th in 1814, British warships sent a downpour of shells and rockets onto Fort McHenry in Baltimore Harbor, relentlessly pounding the American fort for 25 straight hours. The bombardment known as the Battle of Baltimore came only weeks after the British had attacked Washington, D.C., burned the Capitol, the Treasury, and the President's own house to the ground. A week earlier, a 35-year-old American lawyer named Francis Scott Key had boarded the flagship of the British fleet on the Chesapeake Bay in hopes of persuading the British to release a friend who had recently been arrested. Key's tactics were successful, however, because he and his companion had gained knowledge of the impending attack on Baltimore. The British refused to let him go. Under the British security, Francis Scott Key watched on that September 13th day as the barrage of Fort McHenry in Baltimore began. Key said this, and I quote, It seemed as though Mother Earth had opened and was vomiting shot and shell in a sheet of fire and brimstone, end quote. But when the darkness of the night had arrived, Key saw only the red of fire erupting against the night sky. And given the scale of attack, he was confident that the British would win this battle. The hours passed slowly, but in the clearing smoke of the dawn's early light on September the 14th, through the billows of smoke and carnage of war, he saw not the British flag flying, but rather a rugged, tattered, and toiled American flag which still remained flapping in the wind. It was against this backdrop that Francis Scott Key penned now our national anthem known as the Star Spangled Banner. I want to ask you a question this morning, and that is this. How could it be that a man could write such prophetic beauty amongst such present turmoil? I believe that Key was able to somehow disconnect from what he presently saw because he believed in a vision of what simply could be. That while he penned those beautiful and prophetic words, it was amongst the bombing and the shelling of the Baltimore Harbor, somehow he still maintained faith for the future. Sometimes you must lose sight of the present in order to gain a vision for the future. It was in our text today from Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk was a, a prophet that wrote during the decline and the fall of, the, of King Josiah. And it was from there that things in the nation of Judah began to decay rapidly. It was over a 40-year period that the nation went from very prosperous to being led into a Babylonian captivity. And so an entire people are driven from their homes, 
Families were dispersed and forced to live in a foreign country, something we know nothing about. They were required to adapt to a different culture that spoke a different language and were forced to serve foreign and false gods. And it was against this backdrop of history that the prophet Habakkuk hears a word from God. It was amongst all this turmoil and destruction that Habakkuk heard the word from our text this morning. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it may tarry or be delayed, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. God spoke to a people through a prophet and said, though everything that you see around you testifies of the complete opposite, I am telling you that my vision, when it comes to fruition, will not lack anything. You will have exactly what you need when it is my time to reveal it. Hear me today, something that Habakkuk even understood. Sometimes you must lose sight of the present to gain a vision for the future. I believe that's why the wisest man to ever walk the earth in human flesh as a king wrote in the 29th chapter and verse number 18 that where there is no vision, the people perish. The Hebrew word for vision there does not mean a personal vision. It does not mean your own personal ambition or your own personal goals. That word in the Hebrew is very specific. When it says vision, it is talking about the vision from the man of God. It is talking about a prophetic vision. And it says where there is no prophetic vision, the people will cast off restraint. But here's what it says. But happy is he that adheres to the word of God, or to the law. I don't want to pick on you individually, but I want to pick on some thoughts that no doubt are in your mind right now. If you come to True Life Church, you know you hear your pastor believes in you. You know you, you hear that Pastor Ball believes in greater things for your life, that, that, that many of you have have. have anointed callings and giftings that have been prophesied over you and spoken over you. But I want to address the thoughts that might be going through your head. Thoughts like, well, I hear about my calling, but I don't personally believe in it. I hear that God has a higher purpose for my life, but pastor, I don't know how to, to discover it. I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to put the steps in place. I desire a deeper relationship with Jesus. Hear me today, but I don't know how to get to it. I don't, I don't, I don't feel connected to the church anymore. I don't, I don't feel a, a great sense of obligation to the church anymore. I know that I should, but I can't control it. Hear me this morning. I don't believe it's a lack of vision or prophetic voice in your life, but rather a malady that is stopping vision from maturing into a reality in your life. There's a blockage. There's a sickness. I would challenge you this morning. To understand that that chasm, that distance between where you are and where God wants you to be, 
is bridged by tears. The distance keeping you from where God is is bridged by tears. 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 Why is it that there's been such an attack in our society? Why is it that, that, that I've, I've, I've heard and I've felt growing up that for men to cry tears has been conveyed as a sign of weakness? You're not a man if you cry. You're not a man if you display emotion. And for the woman, you are considered just an emotional basket case if you cry. There, there is just an attack on emotion. There is an attack on tears. Why is that? For me, what I see in the Bible, I don't see weak men that cry. I see strong men that cry. I don't see weak men that are emotional in their relationship with God. No, 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 no. I see strong men that are actually emotional in their relationship with God. There's been such an attack on this, but I just want to go back to the word. The psalmist said in chapter 34, verse 17, watch, he says, the righteous cry out. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears. Psalm 56, verse number 8, if that's not enough for you, the Bible says, you number my wanderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Wow. Are you telling me that when I shed tears, that they are being collected by God? Are you telling me, pastor, that there's some proverbial book, there's some book in heaven where God records every tear that rolls down your face? I'm telling you, that's what I see in the word. Meanwhile, society tells men, you're weak. You're not a man if you cry. Or they tell women, you're a basket case. You're just emotional if you cry. But the Bible tells me it is the righteous men and righteous women that cry out to God. I want to remind you where we began this journey, the chasm, the distance between where you are and where God wants you to be is bridged with your tears. And too many of us can't bridge the gap from where we are to where God is because I believe we're crying over the wrong things. We're crying out over the wrong things. I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you willing to weep over, sir? What are you willing to weep over, ma'am? What are you willing to actually cry out for? What are you willing to be so desperate to receive love and attention from relationships not desperate for a pursuit of a relationship with God desperate for success of our careers and our own personal ambitions and not shed one tear for our relationship with our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ I want to ask you this morning what is it that you're crying over what is it that you're willing to be emotional over in your personal life and then when you come to church, you refuse to be emotional in your relationship with God? Huh. 
I, think, I find it so ironic that, that our society will cry and weep over the rights of animals, yet sacrifice children by the millions and think nothing of it. And of course, we, 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 oh no, we don't believe that. But we will invest our emotion and we will invest our tears into things that have very little eternal value while forsaking all the while emotion and tears in prayer in our relationship with God. Pastor, how do I get to my calling? How do I get? I would, I would tell you this. You need to become more emotional with the Lord. I read something from the American Optometric Association. They said when an infant is born, their vision isn't fully developed. Matter of fact, for infants, objects will remain out of focus and blurry. But something happens between one to three months where the baby actually begins crying tears. And as the tear duct develops, more and more tears develop. More and more tears are produced. And it is the tear duct that precedes clear and focused vision for the baby. Hear me this morning. Tears precede vision. Tears precede vision. If any of you suffer from a horrible condition known as dry eye, you know it's horrible. A dry eye is where a person doesn't have enough quality. It's not that they don't have any. They don't have enough quality tears to lubricate and nourish the eye. It is the tears that are necessary for maintaining not only overall health, but also clear vision. The AOA said, that, 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 that dry eye is, a, is common. It's, it's a common and often chronic problem. And here's what they said. Something stuck out to me about this, particularly in older adults. Particularly as adults mature, they begin to lack tears. Isn't it amazing then that as we get older, Somehow, we begin to lose our vision. Do you understand what I'm doing here with this kind of divine balance between the natural and also the spiritual? Can I tell you how bad it grieves my heart to hear our apostolic elders say, Pastor, I don't feel like I have vision anymore. I don't feel like I have purpose anymore. Isn't it something that's, that, that, that many times as a Christian quote-unquote matures or has been living for God so long that they find it easier and easier to shed less and less tears as this spiritual dry eye begins to set in and then all of a sudden they lose sight of the vision and the purpose of God. Now we start paying attention more so to what's happening around us in the natural world while forsaking all the while the supernatural things that God has in store for us. What is the problem? That bridge is your tears. Hebrews chapter number 11 says this. Now faith is the substance. Somebody say substance. It is the substance of of things hoped for, 
Faith is, is the substance. It's, it's the tangible thing of, of, of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. In the Greek, there's a few different words I want to render differently and reread Hebrews 11.1 1 to you. How it would read in the Greek would be this. Faithfulness is the foundation of things envisioned or expected. It is the evidence of things not seen. Faithfulness is your foundation of things envisioned or inspect or expected. The evidence of things not seen. You realize with me how critical these words are that Paul was preaching about when he said, you may not have evidence in the natural world, but your faithfulness is a testimony and a foundation of things that you are envisioning. You don't have the tangibility of it. You can't touch it. You can't see it. You, you, you don't know that it's going to happen, but you remain faithful. And because you remain faithful, you begin to lay stone after stone of foundation. And that foundation becomes the visible evidence that you believe that God's vision will not be lacking in your life. You know what you ought to be starting? We ought to start weeping and crying over God's vision for our life. We, we, we ought to start weeping and praying over our relationship with God and not our other relationships. We ought to start weeping and crying over our need to be healed mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. When will it be that we will get a burden enough to become a little more emotional than what we are because I'm telling you today everything that I can see in the word you can write me off and say pastor you're just preaching for emotionalism I'm telling you what I see in the word that it's the tears it's your ability to cry out to God that bridges the gap to get you to where you want to be I don't know how else to say it so I'll say it this way don't turn off your emotions. Don't turn off your emotions. But, but don't turn off your emotions. And here's why. Because if you turn off your emotional receptors because of hurts or pains or things in your life, how will you begin to feel God moving in your life anymore? This is where the person comes to church and is so stoic because they've suffered so much pain and so much hurt in their life. And I want to tell you today, if I'm preaching to you, do not turn off your emotions, sir. Do not turn off your emotions, ma'am. Don't block those off because God still has a vision and a purpose for your life. God, can I remind you, it was God that created emotion. God created emotion. God created you with the ability to produce tears. God created you with the ability to feel hurt and pain. God created those. Listen, so he can move through them. People with dry eyes, it's not that they don't produce any tears. No, no, no. It's that they don't produce enough quality tears. I wonder today if your vision has been cut off. I wonder today if your vision has stifled out because of your refusal to cry out to God. I 100% I, I believe this. You will only 
weep over what truly matters to you. You will only cry out for what truly matters to you. Don't point a finger in my face and say, Pastor, I'm just not an emotional person. I don't buy that. You will cry out to what truly matters to you. Let your son or your daughter get diagnosed with cancer and tell me you won't cry out to God. You will cry out to only what matters to you. How do I bridge this gap? How do I find my purpose? How do I find my fulfillment? How do I find my ministry, my calling, my anointing? I can only tell you this from what I see in the word. It is bridged by people who refuse to cut off their emotion. And they cry out to God and they shed tears. And the, and the Bible tells me somehow that God is in heaven capturing every tear that falls down your face. Not just tears of sadness, it's tears of desire. God, I want a deeper relationship with you. And every tear that rolls down your face, God is there with, with some kind of vial capturing every tear and recording it in his book. Tell me that God doesn't care about emotion. Tell me that God doesn't care about tears. You will only weep over what truly matters. So here's my challenge to us today. Let go of what you see in the physical and start weeping over God's vision for your life. Lose sight of your present circumstances surrounding you and gain God's vision for your life. Because as the song said, it may very well look like I'm surrounded. But may I remind you this morning, we are surrounded, but we're surrounded by the angels of God. Quit looking at all your problems. I love it when the prophet goes with his servant to the king. And, 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 the, and the prophet's servant, he begins worried because the enemy, the Assyrian army, has surrounded them. And they want to kill them and take their lives. And here's what Elijah said. Elijah says, God, open his eyes that he may see. And all of a sudden, he not, he, he not only seen the Assyrian army, but when God opened his servant's eyes, he seen a whole angelic host of angel warriors surrounding him. It may look like you're surrounded, but I want to remind you, you are surrounded by God. <laughs> Elijah. 1 Kings 17, don't, you don't have to bring up the scripture, but a child was dead, and Elijah had a vision that that child would raise again. And so here's what Elijah did. He bridged the gap from his vision of the kid being raised from the dead with tears. The Bible said Elijah cried out to God, and then God raised the dead child. In 2 Chronicles, the Bible says King Jehoshaphat cried out to God, and then God delivered him from the death. 2 Chronicles 32, the Bible says King Hezekiah cried out, and God gave him victory over his enemy. On a stormy sea of Galilee, the, the disciples were fearful as their ship was being tossed to and fro, and they thought they were going to sink, and they thought they were going to drown. And so what did they do? They cried out to Jesus. And when they cried out, Jesus stood to the bow of the ship and he said, peace, be still. But that vision was not fulfilled until there was tears and a crying out that happened. 
I love the prophet Ezra in Ezra chapter number 10. With a backslidden nation, Israel was backslidden, serving false gods. And the Bible says that the prophet Ezra began to cry out, and he began to weep, and he began to fast for a backslidden nation. What happened? Because of the weeping and the fasting and the crying out, there was a great revival of backslidden Israel that came back into relationship with God. Don't tell me that your tears don't matter. Don't tell me that your emotion doesn't matter. Don't tell me that crying out to God doesn't matter. Can I take you to Matthew chapter number 9 where there was a woman that had a blood disease for 12 long years and she had exhausted all of her money on every physician and surgeon around. She had get, got rid of all of her money trying to find a solution to this problem. And watch what happened. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 9, suddenly a, a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came behind and touched the hem of his garment. Watch this. Remember, faith, faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. A faithfulness is the, is the substance of things envisioned, envisioned, the vision of God. Watch what happens. For she said within herself, if I only may touch his garment, I shall be made whole. A vision, a vision of what could be. Mark 10, 46, a man by the name of blind Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus also. And God restores his sight. The Bible says when they came to Jericho, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he had heard that Jesus of Nazareth, when it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began, watch, to cry out. Began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. Could it be that this is actually a spiritual problem that many of us face? That there are voices that tell you, hey, tone it down a little bit. Relax a little bit. Chill out a little bit. Because that's what I see in the Bible. When this man cried out out of desperation, and many told him, hey, shh. Blind Bartimaeus, you know the story. The Bible says he cried out all the more. Jesus, son of David, I don't care what all these other people think. Have mercy on me. <laughs> Watch what happened. We read over it. Verse number 49. So Jesus stood still. Stop right there. When the blind man cried out out of desperation, Jesus stood still. You want to know what your tears do? You want to know, know what happens when you begin to hit your knees and cry out and stop caring what anybody else thinks and you let those tears come down your face? God stands still. God stands still. Don't tell me your emotion doesn't play into your miracle. Don't tell me tears don't matter. God stood still. 
You want to get a hold of God beyond a mediocre level? Hear your pastor today. Get beyond mediocre worship. Get beyond mediocre prayer. Get beyond mediocre fasting. Get beyond mediocre church attendance. When you begin to cry out to God, he will take you from where you're at, and he will put you in right relationship. I'm done. I'm done playing. I want to get in relationship with God. He's the only thing that truly matters to me. I can't take anything else with me on the other side of eternity. So I cry out to God. And when the church cries out to God, listen, Jesus stands still. He cries out. Jesus stops. Commands him to come. He comes. He gets healed. But listen to me today. Blind Bartimaeus came because he had a vision of what could be. That he could receive his sight. But before there was clear vision, there was a crying out that happened. Before there was a clear, fulfilled vision, there was weeping. I believe that's why the psalmist says in the 126th chapter and verse number 5 that those who sow, sow, look at the language, sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. How do I get into a great relationship with God? Sow Seeds of tears. Because God is somehow in heaven collecting every one that falls. You're not a man if you cry. Man up. Sit in the back. Act like you got it all together. Act all strong. That's not a man to me. That's not a man to me. A man to me leads from the front. I'm not afraid to cry tears in front of this. I'm not afraid to cry tears. Listen, I've, I've done the manly stuff. I've done the manly stuff. Eight years in the Marine Corps, combat tour. I've done the manly stuff. You know what really matters? Shedding tears. Worshiping God. Don't tell me I'm not a man because I'm emotional in my relationship with God. You don't understand. I'm trying to bridge over a chasm because I want a deeper relationship with my Lord and my Savior. So I'm here to preach a strong message to every man. It's time to man up. That's fine. I'll preach to the walls. Don't matter. It's time to man up. We need men that pray. We need men that go to church. We need men that fast. We need men to be godly examples to the children around us. We need women that are willing to weep and cry out to God. Afloat in the Chesapeake Bay amongst many enemy ships, Francis Scott Key witnessed the continual bombardment of everything that he loved, everything that he believed in. Key had no doubt, saw his share of troubles and hard times in his life, but nothing could compare to those consistent blows from the enemy one after another. How could anyone survive this level of enemy persistence 
How could anyone maintain a faith for the future? Yet as he penned those powerful prophetic lyrics through all the bombs and explosion, through the constant bombardment from the enemy, hear me today, through the raging fires and billows of smoke was an old rugged flag, tattered and torn. It was the visible emblem of freedom and victory. Hear me today. Similarly, many of you have been standing by watching the constant attack from Satan in your life, in your home, in your marriage, in your family, and you've stood by and you've seen the constant bombardment against everything that you love. You failed God yourself many times. You've caused heartache in yourself because you feel a sense of failure. Listen, all the while, the enemy laughs at you and scorns you. Hear me today, but through the constant bombardment from the enemy through the raging fire and billows of smoke is something more powerful than an American flag. It's an old, rugged cross. It's an old, rugged cross. Despite your failure, despite your weakness, despite what's going on in your life, there's an emblem that you can look to that says you are victorious. I wonder if you would grab the hand of somebody next to you and come to this altar today. There is a cross that exists for your life. I wonder if you would come to this altar today.